Well, the levels are looking a little bit off, but you know what, Roman? We're just gonna we're gonna go forward with it because that's that's just how we've got to do it. That's where we're at. That's should, what life is. Should I be closer? Should no, I, be, I don't. Should I be further? I think you're the problem. If anybody's the problem, it's me. Should I take off my pants? Roman, the solution to everything is not <laughs> take off your pants. In spite of. But it often helps. It does often help. <laughs> it Tuesday, we grab a bunch of comic books from UPS. You know, the real exciting spot. <laughs> the comic book mecca. UPS, the comic book mecca. Uh, we bring them back to our comic shop. Uh, we count them, sort them, hug them, love them, touch them. We read them if we can a little bit at the time. Um, and then we follow them all the way for our wonderful, adoring subscribers. And then we go home to our respective quiet places and engage in a sort of artistic, creative uh, give and take with the books, where we give energy to the books and they nourish us and fulfill us creatively. And then we come back to our shop on Wednesday and have a Wednesday, which if you don't know what it's like to be in a comic shop on a Wednesday, it's an amazing special thing. I encourage everyone to check it out. Um, come to our shop. And then we come up here to the Pap Cave in the Sky. The, the Pap Lookout. The Pap Tower. Ooh, the Pap Tower. Ooh, I like the Pap Tower. Yeah. It's like Titan's Tower, but better. But pappier. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Happier. Um, and we engage in a variety of tangents, either related to or unrelated to the comings and goings of the books. I'm Jeff, and I don't know if I've ever seen somebody so excited about seeing the word Peckerwood in a comic book as Roman was about <laughs> a half hour ago. I'm Roman, and yes, that was a true moment. You don't, you, don't, you don't see enough Peckerwood terminology. A true Romant. A Romant. 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 Yes. All right. We got, it's a very good portmanteau wordplay going on here. Oh my God. Okay. What? We, what? we made it through that. Oh, Sorry. Geez. A bunch of technical difficulties. Okay. Spider Man. And by. What? <laughs> Where? <laughs> All right, buddy. Oh, Miles Morales? I read that one. Superman <laughs> Year One ah. by Frank Miller, John Romita we're, Jr. We're starting with the big one. We're starting with the big one, and, and by big one we mean that truly this is three issues worth of material. It was a and, lot. And just, it's so, the format's so big. I mean, it almost doesn't fit in a magazine board. Big you know, I, I tried to, en I began engaging with this while I sat down to be on the toilet. <laughs> yeah. um, and I'm not trying, hey, I'm not trying to be blue here. I'm not trying to be, a this isn't gross out humor. It's not all... Pops and poos with us, <laughs> Roman. Uh, no, no. Sophistication is key. Of course. But I did sit down there to start reading this book, and because of the width of it, I couldn't comfortably read it without creasing the spine. And because it's so wide, like I was trying to keep it nice, but I was trying to hold it, and it was it was closing, and it was all <laughs> it just didn't work. Th that's a real loser complaint to have about a comic. But that was how, that was how I began my relationship with Superman it, it, year one. It didn't one. start off well. And it, it didn't flow. It never made more sense than that moment itself, Roman. <laughs> um, uh. This is uh, from DC's Black Label. 
It is the second book to come out and clearly supposed to be Black Label. They've retroactively fit uh, Batman White Knight into Black Label and a couple other things that came out years ago. They're labeling as Black Label now, like I think even New Frontier. So it's basically yeah, a an all-star Superman. Yeah, yeah, which doesn't make sense to me no at all. No sense at all. <laughs> so they're attempting to make it a bit of an Elseworlds thing. This is unique because Frank Miller said that this is the or like you know a de facto origin for Superman, but it's also the Superman that appears in Dark Knight Returns. Okay, so this is in the Miller verse, basically, like the I, Frank Miller Dark Knight Returns. Verse. I think they could un okay. unblack label this and just give it the Miller verse, yeah, title or something because he's got enough of a corner and yeah catalog that I don't think he really needs I don't know yeah I mean doesn't I mean isn't there was an oblique reference in one comic to like there being on one of the earths is actually like the Frank Miller DC earth <laughs> that sounds like a Grant Morrison comic story idea yeah yeah okay well that would make more sense then because I thought I heard him saw something he said this is the definitive origin of Superman it's like well, well they're no, also this is that. an Elseworlds type of Frank Miller verse okay it's an alternative version of Superman's origin and so this begins with, you know, Krypton blowing up, and it goes all the way to the point where he leaves uh, Smallville to join the Navy. <laughs> yeah. I'm really curious about your thoughts about this, because oh, you're a classic okay. Superman fan. You're a classic comic fan. What did you think about this? Well, I'm really curious about yours, too. Um, I I just finished reading this, like, like 10 minutes ago. Um uh, I'll say what <laughs> I'll say what I liked about it. Um, I, boy, I liked the relationship between him and Lana. That was my favorite part. Yeah, and I liked kind of the description of when uh, there's some point in here when he first is really flying like in the night, and his description of flying was cool. And other than that, I, there's a lot I don't like. There's a lot that I thought was awkward and confusing um starting like from the very first couple pages where we've got apparently baby cal is narrating what is happening as krypton's exploding and he's about to be rocketed off the planet but it's the narration of an adult with a pretty good vocabulary and if you want to use the device i think of of a baby's narration of what's happening to it that would be hard to do but i think maybe if I was going to do that, I would have it be very simplistic, like monosyllable words and a lot of stuff like going, why, scared, blah. Instead, you've got these complete sentences and you're like, who the hell speaking It almost here? seems like <laughs> it's Jor-El speaking to Cal on behalf of him or or it's this overly sophisticated baby. That, yeah, like, yeah, because apparently it's, it's – and it took me a couple pages to realize, no, this is Cal, baby Cal, like narrating – himself being blasted off the planet yeah <laughs> before the ship puts him in a coma or whatever it does to him and yeah and and but then after that it goes into more of a, a omniscient narrator and I, but there's a couple points where it goes back to kind of like a third person limited um narr narrator and it's like it's just it's jarring it's kind of confusing and i don't know the art when baby cow first steps out of the rocket it's just not – it needs some tighter line work, I think, because he's got these – he doesn't look like a real baby. And I know that's kind of funny maybe to say <laughs> in a comic book, but he looks like a a plush baby – a plush toy of a baby. <laughs> yeah, so piggybacking off of that, um, I would say that John Romita's art 
throughout the entire book, the ages of people are kind of all over the place. Like their head sizes are generally like a fourth of the size of their body, which makes everyone look much younger than they're supposed to. Um, Yeah. And their facial expressions are also very young. Like it's... Except except for Lana in a couple scenes where she's side by side with Clark. They, he looks like he's a teenager. She looks like she's, you know, 20. Yeah, there <laughs> are it's it's all over the place. And the writing doesn't make the ages more clear either. You know, like the parents are scared of these bullies or um Basically, so to summarize the story really quickly, most of it takes place in Clark's uh, teen years when he's, like, getting into high school and he's starting to make friends, but he's sort of hanging out with the misfit crew, and there are some real harsh bullies that are beating up he and his friends, but they're also, like, vandalizing people, and apparently, like, when the they're trying to figure out how to deal with it, like, they're saying, like, ooh, even on the terror... Parents and teachers are scared of these bullies and shit, which is, like, one pet peeve I have is when stories, like, people won't talk to people in power because, like, they're Mm. scared or because they don't feel like they should or or something like that. It's like, no, if these teenagers are threatening your lives, go to the police or go, and and the way that Frank Miller deals with that is like, no, even the adults are scared of these out-of-control teens. You're like, this is, that's a real bullshit. Yeah, Um, and you never get an impression until, until a certain point you never get an impression that these kids are any kind of threat at all really and there's no reason why any adults would be afraid of them um it's just it's just it's just awkward and jonathan kent like doesn't seem concerned about it at all which just doesn't fit the usual jonathan kent portrayals so i guess so my feelings about it are like real complex there were things that i liked i liked the relationship with clark and lana um I think that the characterizations for both of his parents are pretty off, and I feel like the characterization of him isn't even super on point. Like, huh, super. Uh, it's Frank Miller, so it's there's just unnecessary darkness in it and unnecessary rudeness. And there's the scene where like the bullies beat up Lana, like because she thinks she's going to meet him. And yeah, here's a big spoiler, folks. Yeah, it's it's very dark. Yeah, there's a real dark scene where, like, I think that you could interpret it as a almost attempted rape. Yeah. Um, but definitely, like, a, a trying to beat somebody up. And I guess that's just stuff that I super don't need in my Superman book. Yeah, especially in... And, yes, unfortunately, that kind of shit happens everywhere. But, you know, you don't want that in Smallville. And, and these kids... Yeah, they, they, and yeah, definitely one of them says something about how they're going to touch her and everything. And yeah, it's, and it's just so dark. And you didn't, I mean, even though characters say this, that they're dark, it doesn't, you don't get any indication from that from these kids. Um, and some of their dialogue is just so off. It just doesn't seem, and I, and you know, maybe I'm wrong. I've never been to Kansas. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe this is how teenagers in Kansas actually speak. But there's times when they're saying things that are just like, and some of it's like forced, enforced kind of hickey stuff. Like we were make, joking earlier about one of them calls one of the bullies calls somebody, somebody in Clark's group a peckerwood and stuff. And I, and I don't know if anybody actually still uses that term. And like, and, sure, and I don't they know did if they use them in Kansas. They knew Roman was gonna laugh. <laughs> 
Yeah, there's just it just feels so I don't know, inauthentic. Um, I did like some of the stuff when Clark's a kid in in the fields playing with his running with his dog, and I liked him and Pa throwing the baseball back and forth. Yeah, I liked him when he's first jumping up and down and running around in the fields. And I Ma and Pa are like, "What's going on?" The here? really young Clark stuff, and then I really like the very end of it, where I like. I mean, so he decides that he wants to leave home after school and join the Navy. And he kind of has this, as he was flying the ship, there, there was like Jor-El sort of monologuing mm. about how there's going to be a lot of people on this planet that you need to help and a lot of things for you to see, and it's a living planet. And so I like that he has this sense of, I need to go see this world. Like, yeah. I, you know, I'm going to help it and protect it, so I need to see it. And that seemed like an okay justification to me rather than just like, well, I wanted to go to the big city and become a reporter. I like this sort of hero's journey pushing off from shore bit more than anything else I've seen. Mm. And I really like the relationship between he and Lana and how tender it is. And it did remind me of being in high school and experiencing these emotions for the first time. But I guess I just sort of left the whole book with the feeling of like, why? Why? Like, why is Frank Miller a guy who, by all counts, doesn't seem to have a lot of deference for this character or even love for focusing on the positive aspects of things. Like, why is he writing this? And then I do think that this is a step up from pretty much all the John Romita stuff I've seen lately, but I still think that it's pretty rough. I think the ages on characters are bad. Like, it, it, it kind of jumps all over the place there. Um, but I do think his architectural work in this is better than I've seen lately. Like, as soon as I opened it up, that first page of just the shots of Krypton, I was like, oh, John Romita Jr., you're, you're doing some architectural work that's pretty nice. So I, it was my pick of the day, pick of the week at the beginning of the day on Wednesday. And it, I think it's because the book ended on a pretty high note for me. Just these scenes of him like leaving town and zooming his vision and seeing his high school sweetheart saying like, bye, I miss you, I love you. Like resonated with me. I'm, I'm kind of a sap for that stuff. But the more time that went away, like went on away from this book, I was like, oh, I, I really had some problems with it. And I, I, I love seeing Superman. I love spending time with him. But this whole time it felt a little, like it felt quite a bit like Superman and his parents that aren't my Superman. And I don't, I, I didn't make me want to have other people be this, their Superman. Does that make mm. sense? Yeah, yeah, it does. It, do, it definitely does. Um, and the, some of the things that I felt were missing, like Pa Kent is a huge part of the Superman mythos and, and the, the hero that Clark Kent becomes. And in this, I mean, he's got a couple of good lines, but for the most part, he kind of doesn't have much of a personality at no, all. No, neither Ma or Pa can yeah, do. Yeah, and, and Ma's got a little bit, just a little bit more, I felt, just because like, she's so against him being brainwashed by the military and blah, 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 and doing all that. And that's kind of the way I feel is like Ma and Pa would have tried to talk him out of this, and Pa can't be being who he is. Maybe even they, Clark would have never got to this point, I feel, considering joining the military, because just the way Pa raised him, I think, is it just feels off to me. Um, <laughs> I give it a 6.5. It's awesome to read Superman. You know, I'll, I'll read a Superman book, um, especially like origin era, if you want to take a stab at it, for sure. I, I, don't, I don't ever mind being with those characters, but it didn't feel representative of the characters that I know and love. 6.5. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I'll probably give it a... I'll give it a solid 6. Um, 
I'm, I'll probably read the next one because just if I, if I approach this as the idea that is Frank Miller's Dark Knight Returns Superman, this is an explanation of how that Superman ended up that way. Okay. It has nothing to do with the Superman I love. <laughs> so then let's talk a little bit about Usagi Ujimbo, written and drawn by Stan Sakai, and it's now in colors, and that is done by Tom Luth. Roman, this was the first Usagi Ujimbo that I've ever read. Cool, cool. Yes, and I've I've read a lot of Usagi over the years. You have, yeah, yeah. Not all, not the whole saga, but I've read quite a few of the volumes. And this is the first time he's been in color. First time, that that I know of. So this largely took place with Usagi going uh, to, um, I guess, a live play in China or Japan. Um, yeah, they're in Japan. Okay, thank you. Feudal, feudal Japan. I, I guess we should say, um, for those who aren't familiar, Yusagi Ujimbo, he's a um, samurai rabbit, anthropomorphic rabbit, um, as are many and many of the anthropomorphized characters in his his world, which is feudal Japan. Um, are animals, humanoid animals, but there's also regular humans too, and there's monsters and demons. And Yusagi, it's just about him wandering around Japan having adventures. And what I thought was cool was that... Um, this was titled Bonraku, which is a type of um, play in, I believe, Japan and China. Um, but it is puppets, and there are puppeteers, and it is largely focused on loss and, you know, scorned lovers and suicide. Uh, it's like a real, you know, it's Shakespeare for that era of that culture, kind of. Um, but anyway, this this did a cool job of actually. Because I remember uh, in my East Asian Civilization class talking a fair amount about this. So what I thought was really cool is that Stan Sakai put that much culture into this book so effortlessly. Because, um, yeah, Sakai has always done that with this series. He's put a lot of historical research, a lot of cultural, um, actual cultural movements and entertainments and just traditions into his stories. It's been one of the things that's kept uh, Usagi so popular. So then what did you think about it being colored? Um, it looks good. I mean, the colors are nice. I, 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 I don't know if I prefer it more than the black and white. I mean, the black and white never bothered me at all, so the color is a nice addition. Um, I don't necessarily think it was necessary, at least so far. We may have some effects in future issues that may have only worked in color. Yeah, I really don't mind black and white comics when, especially when it's like written and drawn, you know, by the same person, like Terry Moore. I really, yeah. I wouldn't prefer Terry Moore's work colored. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's kind of fun looking at it now, flipping through it without reading. Um, it is kind of fun seeing Usagi's blue, um, I don't know what kimono, a or I samurai kimono, but yeah, yeah, gear yeah. is called. But yeah, it is fun seeing that bright blue, because usually you only see that on covers. Yeah. Um, it, it does, I don't want to necessarily say take away, but it almost does... With it being so colored, it is a little bit more flat, or the lines stand out in a way that gives an air of simplicity that I think, for me, isn't there when it's black and white. Uh, a lot more of the line work stands out when it's just black and white, whereas here, when you have a stark blue on top of the inks, it kind of washes out some of the detail there. Um, that's one thing for me, but... Yeah, I liked this pretty good. I don't know that I would keep up with it, but it was at least a quick read, and I liked that. But I, I remember being young and going to a comic shop and really liking, you know, some manga. And they were like, "You should read Usagi Ujimbo," and I never did, but I was kind of wanted to. And I, I, I'm glad that it exists. It, 
I think if you like sort of fun adventure stories that are great for all ages and uh, with an air of you know a history for East Asian civilization, I think that it's it's a pretty good book for you. Yeah, yeah, it's it's it was fun that this issue was all about kind of his experience watching a Bonraku performance, and you know I didn't know anything about that, so it's it was pretty informative for me, and it makes reference to previous. Um, Usagi stories, but it's not important if you've read those or not. There's just a little foot, a little footnote here and there about that. And he's an interesting character. I've always, always liked him. His character design is great, and he yeah. is adorable while being intimidating as well. <laughs> yeah, he looks so angry in a couple of these scenes. Right. Like right away, he's like, he's like, what? Hey. Yeah, I've never known quite what his deal is. So, what do you give it? I'll give it a, uh, I'll give it an eight. Nice. And at least the main cover has a beautiful color with the. I forgot what they're called. The pink Japanese flower, uh, trees with the flowers. Cherry blossoms, yeah. yeah, yeah. Thank you. I love cherry it blossoms. seven. I liked it. I think it's definitely for some folks. It's a seven not out of it being not skilled at all, just not being ex- like super interesting to me. Didn't necessarily reinvent the wheel at all. But not everything has to. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes you just got a wheel. Yeah. Um, so then moving on, Roman. What? You didn't What's read next? War of the Realms Journey into oh. Mystery number five this week. It was the only War of the Realms book I didn't read this week. Oops. I... <laughs> this is the one written by the McElroys with art by Andre Lima Araujo, who I love, and then colors by Chris O'Halloran. This, I read four and five together because I, I do kind of like getting into this. I read two and three together as well. Um, number four... They ended up going to this sort of like henchman convention because all the big bads are gone. So they ended up at this henchman convention um, where Ares gets the baby that they're sh- shuttling around back. And then it finalizes in volume f- or issue five um, with them fighting Ares and then them kind of learning that the baby has actually been orchestrating kind of like where they're going, giving sort of like subconscious nods to people doing certain things for a lot of the reasons, like the reason they ended up at the scroll camp or something, because she had said, like, it just feels like we should go here, is it, the baby actually has some of these powers. And it's uh, Odin and Freya's baby, but they uh, did that thing that gods do to make babies in, like, hell, or, like, the dimension between dimensions or something, where there is a there was a negative spirit there, and it kind of possessed them or was enshrouding them or was, was a part of that place. So um, the baby actually has three parents mm. and it's it's got some demon in it, which is, I think, a, like a cool thing. You know, I'm not super up on the old, uh, you know, Thor lore, as it were, and I it's not my favorite thing, but uh, I think that's a cool, a cool thing. You know, I've still got my conflicted feelings about this. I really like this. I love the McElroys so much. This one, more than any of them, like these two, I guess, it's it's felt more and more like Clint, the father's book, uh, than the other brothers. And he's got a real strong voice, and I think it's really funny. And I think the further this got along, the more that it did kind of become more a Marvel style rather than these, you know, funny podcasters writing a book with Marvel characters. It did fit more into that sort of who these characters are and what they would do and felt a little bit less like these outside folks. I don't know that I love the McElroys, but I don't know that I am super looking to get 
their flavor from comics. Mm, That's yeah. But I will read anything that has a McElroy name on it, so I'll keep reading it. Um, but ultimately, this ends with, uh, you know, all of the places that they've stopped, those crews kind of showing up with them to make a big team or sort of a, an army at this point, and they all sort of rush off to go to the War of the Realms. It sounds like this one was supposed to happen, like, right after issue number four of War of the Realms. So the publication of War of the Realms has been a little mm, bit off. Yeah. But it's trended towards the War of the Realms main book coming out earlier than most things. And when publication stuff is off with Marvel events, it usually trends more towards the main book slow, like coming out more slowly than it's supposed yeah. to. But the art was amazing. Um, they kind of team up with Ares at the end because he is missing a child and the, the baby kind of gives the impression that he should come and help them. And that's what happened. It all had a real McElroy flavor by the end of it um, in, in terms of wholesomeness. I think their brand is sort of wholesome. How did it? How how did they figure out that the baby was influencing things? Oh, I forget exactly how they knew that. Um, oh, Thori. That's my favorite part <laughs> of this book was Thori. But it, in like issue four, he's like, I feel like baby's doing a little bit more than it's letting on. But whatever, that's chill. And and, <laughs> and then he does a, a sort of a lot of explanation in this, a lot of the exposition stuff and why the, the mm. baby has this demon spirit. It comes from Thori, and he's just like, yeah, people don't pay a lot of attention to me, and I just sort of hang out and listen while these other folks are uh, talking. I love that idea, because that, you know, your pets, the, the dogs and stuff, they're, they're a little more in tune to some things that the rest of us aren't paying attention to. Dude, Thori, Thori tore it up on this one. <laughs> he, was, he was tearing it up. That was terrible, I'm sorry. But, uh... This book was terrible in that he was able to tear it up, and it was very good. Um, I would give this last issue an 8. I would give the series as a whole a uh, 7.5 or an 8. It was gorgeous. It was people I like telling a story with characters that I'm pretty fond of for the most part. And I didn't really know them, but I, by the end I was into it. And yeah. Are you, got, are you a Wonder Man fan now? Yeah, uh, <laughs> I liked Wonder Man to begin with. I don't know. I don't know. He's real cocky in general, in fiction or real life. Cockiness really turns me off. Um, so yeah, Wonder Man's got that going. For Are you gonna read <laughs> yeah. this one? I, I probably will because I, I read. I, I don't know why I didn't pick it up this week. I read four. Yeah, yeah. It's it's good. The art is real, real good. Yeah, that, that's that's what I've got to say about that. I it, I got sort of conflicted feelings about talking about did you give it a score yeah i gave it an eight and i gave the right. series a okay. seven right, right, right. all right roman i read teen titans 31 um, i did too let's talk about these creators i, use, I usually quick. don't read teen titans me neither not and since like the jeff johns Braden doesn't really either but between both of you talking about it i decided to read it um this is written by glass um and i can't find a credit page because dc doesn't give a fuck uh, Adam Glass and then Bernard Chang is the artist and Marcelo Maiolo, colorist. What do you got, buddy? Um, I read it because I was, I, I was curious. Lobo, I mean, the shadow of Lobo's on the cover, facing down um, supposedly Crush, who's Lobo's daughter, apparently. So sh Also, shout out Dino Chapman. Uh, love you, Dino. We're thinking about you. He's a big Lobo fan. He's a big Crush oh. fan by, by proxy. Um Probably the biggest Lobo fan I know, even bigger than Django. So, Dino, wow, cool. this is for you. 
The uh, King Lobo with his daughter Lobo. This so. this is. We read it. From, I like the way this started off because Lobo shows up at this convenience market and ends and and it ends up. Turns out he's there because the pagoda guy behind the counter is actually an alien from Kanjar Rose planet. Yeah, and almost bounty hunting him. Those are those same aliens that have been in Grant Morrison's Green Lantern book, yeah. the ones that were auctioning off the planet, which I had never seen or heard of before. So yeah, I and I forget what they're called, but yeah, Kanjar Rose, who was one of the very first JLA villains ever oh. in the '60s, he was one of these guys with the the bug eyes. Um, so it started off in a fun way with Lobo. Um, and then Love he, butt. and then I forget how he ended up confronting the Titans, um, but he confronts them <laughs> and faces. Off. I was hoping this would reveal, like, because I don't know anything about uh, Crush. I was hoping it would reveal if she's actually Lobo's daughter or is she like a just a huge fan that patterns herself after well, him. He confirms that it's his daughter. But yeah, he. Yeah, I guess he does. He sniffs her and says, "Oh, yep, one of mine." Because um, apparently he has all sorts of kid around, yeah. kids around and everything, but he's killed them all. So he decides to kill her because he wants to be the last Zarninian, Zar- Zar- which he's always said he is. And so he's got to kill her. So they get in a big fight. Titans, Lobo. I mean, Lobo really, there's some cool art where he's beating them up. And, he takes a train and throws yeah, it on her. Yeah, and man. he smashes her into a train and the panels are kind of cool. Um, the Titans themselves, I don't, I'm not really... I'm not really into this team, this version of the Titans, but uh, I like Lobo. I like his daughter. Yeah, I liked Crush in this quite a bit. I liked Lobo pretty well in this. Um, I don't necessarily ever need to read the word Bastich because it reminds (laughs) me of teens when I was a kid. Um, But just like a really good superhero comic. I, I was reading this and I could just feel reading this monthly you know i I can Mm. just feel liking these characters and caring about them and it just had a really it's not the cream of the crop it's certainly not the bottom it's just like a solid through line book with characters that all have personalities that i think that you could latch on to i could see all sorts of people having different favorite characters and enjoying the art and yeah it was like a really good fun superhero beat-em-up book that yeah, I don't know. It, it had heart. It had flair. I I was pretty impressed with how much I I liked this book. It wasn't laden with a bunch of text to try and like legitimize it. It wasn't like this is hey check this uh, important story out. It was like <laughs> we got Lobo showing up fighting his daughter here. Yeah, basically what a Lobo story should be. It's just like big old fight. Um, did and now I'm I'm really curious. Did, so did teenagers in in. Callville, did they say best each? <laughs> um, no, but like it was a thing that permeated a little bit beyond comic book fandom. And like when I was probably like nine or ten, like 19 year olds and like 16 year olds that would probably be in high school and smoking and chewing tobacco would kind of say shit like that. Like folks I didn't really, you know, didn't necessarily want to hang out with. I think maybe the same folks that are like, like those bullies in Smallville, the ones I. <laughs> I'm going to say a kind of judgmental thing, but folks that would be like walking around with Deadpool wallets and Deadpool hats nowadays and like huge deadheads, Deadpool heads, like those same, you know, like I think Lobo scratches a similar itch to Deadpool nowadays. Um, yeah. I'm just not a huge Deadpool fan. I'm sorry that that sounded real judgmental. If Deadpool's your thing, that's very good too. 
I like some things that people call. Oh, shut up, Jeff. Stop talking. Teen <laughs> Titans. Hey, oh, hey, oh. Hey, oh. Uh, what do you give it? I'm going to give it a 7.5. I'm going to a 7. I'm going to go a 7 or a 7.5 right in there. But uh, a good book that, again, not exactly like comics this week were good for the most part but there there was nothing that was like there was only one book that was like a deeply jeff book this week well actually there was a couple we'll get to them but okay. um this was not one of them but it I, this is a two-part arc and it, i'll read the next part it's uh it's a fast read it's a colorful read and it's characters that i like checking in on I, it, it made me really happy this book exists and it made me want to talk to people who this is their favorite book because i'm sure those exist and damien I love Damien. There's hmm. a little bit of Damien yeah. here, and I'll bit. read anything that's got Damien. Yeah. Has the coolest Kid Flash costume of them all. Um, so you're going to read the next part, The Main Man Cometh. Yeah. <laughs> but except he was already came here in this issue, so I don't know. Ooh, um, we don't know that. He we showed didn't up. see that. He showed up. Oh, okay. Uh, I'll give it a seven. Yeah. Okay, Roman, we got a Roman feature here. <gasps> but what is it? It's Tony Stark Iron Man number 13 but what I need to talk to you about real quickly is that uh-huh. this is written by Gail Simone yeah and I think she wrote the previous issue too I, I, and I guess Art she's doing a fill in I, I don't know Vianelli. yeah because um, it's usually um, Dan Slott yeah that made me want to read it more knowing that it was Gail Simone yeah and, and it was a fun issue the previous issue was fun it's fun because um, this is a War of the Realms tie-in, and it's fun because this character shows up that's an, a dragon from Asgard. So it's all mystical, and, and Tony has to fight it, and it's always fun when Tony, the te- technology wizard, has to fight Tony, the actual wizards. Tiger. Yeah, and in this one, he he has to confront his dislike of magic and has to figure out how to fight magic using his technology, and it's pretty clever the way... The way he figures that out. This character, it's I'd forgotten. It's actually its real form is a dragon, but it shows up first as a great big hulking dude, and you think it's just a dude. What's the big deal? And then he transforms into a dragon. It's a dragon deal. Yeah, and Iron Man's armor is mystically transformed, and and he has to work that. And it's just fun seeing Tony, like usual, seeing him figure out problems and hmm. and as a problem and solving problems, and that was pretty cool. Um. And he's dating the Wasp now, Janet Van Dyne, oh. the original Wasp. And that's fun because she shows up and the, their their relationship, the way they interact, is pretty cool. Both when uh, uh, Dan Slott was writing and Gail Simone, she's good at just good, solid, healthy relationships. Huh. So it's nice to see. It's nice to see Tony. I mean, oh, and also, and he and he's also struggling with. He's recently discovered that. When he died and he he had like saved a copy yeah. of his personality technologically, uploaded it into this new body. It was recently revealed to him um, that he's not that makes him not really Tony Stark. Um, and when he was in this cyberverse that happened for a bunch of issues, he was manipulated and convinced of some things, and he drank there. And though it was a cyber version of him, it's effect. It's still affecting him now, where he's dealing with the guilt over that because he's mm-hmm. like, I fell off the wagon, and it doesn't matter if that wasn't really me. It was still me, and what am I now? And especially now that I've drank again, you know. And he's ashamed of this. I think he's admitted it to Rhodey, and he hasn't told his girlfriend yet, and he wants to tell her because he's wants her help. Huh, wants to be honest cool. and yeah he's struggling with all this and in this he has a moment to tell her and he's like I'm going to tell her I'm going to tell Jan I'm going to tell Jan 
chickens out at the last minute, doesn't huh. tell her. So he's feel he's end of the issue. He's feeling even more guilty. And that's really cool. I like stories like as you do, like stories like that that deal with some real human struggle and stuff people really deal have to deal with in real life. You know, if, you know, even if we're not a genius millionaire inventor. <laughs> well, I'm kind of that. Well, yeah, we're working for that. So, like, what's your score for it? Um, <laughs> I, I can I add one little thing. Please. One of the cool things with this villain, because it's this mystic sorcerer type thing. When they're fighting, he just can see into like Tony's soul or whatever, and it's like, oh, you're an alcoholic and and you had a drink. Let's make you feel pretty shitty, huh? And he starts psychologically playing with Tony, and that's really good. Um, my score for this would be uh, eight point five. Mmm. Aoao. I like that. Okay. Well then, let's. Uh, it's uh, one last thing. One, one last last sure. thing I'll say about that. It's uh, kind of have to have to deal with those same old devils and the devil you know. Wow. <laughs> no devils, only God. Part two, Daredevil <laughs> number seven by Chip Zdarsky with art by. Um, a lot of credits here. Lalit Kumar Sharma. So this is the second issue with this fill-in artist who's just doing the second volume. Uh, Marco Chiquetto was doing the first five issues. I was pretty bummed the previous issue to see the art that, you know, changed and uh, I was more at peace with the art this issue. I think that it got a little bit better between the two and it just bothered me less. Like I it's jarring to go from one issue artist to another one. So at least this is the same artist as the last issue. And this is dealing with you know, uh Matt has stopped being Daredevil, and he's just hanging out, being a lawyer, uh, a PO right now, a parole officer, and some other folks have kind of picked up the mantle, gotten Daredevil masks, and are trying to protect Hell's Kitchen in New York in his stead. And this issue had some really good stuff. It had Kingpin basically deciding, like, I'm mayor, I'm done being the criminal Kingpin, like, I just... I don't feel it anymore, so I'm gonna, as long as you guys don't create a whole bunch of crime and go to war, I'm gonna try and phase out here and you guys are in charge and I'm just gonna just be managing uh, mayorally from here. Yeah, he has a secret meeting with a bunch of other New York crime bosses and turns over the New York to them, the, the, the criminal part of New York. Um, Cause he's got bigger things. I think the Kingpin's gonna maybe try for governor in a, of New York in a few years. Mm, President, mayor, <laughs> Fisk. I mean, could be any worse than the current guy. <laughs> I was gonna say Trump being president makes Fisk being president seem pretty believable. Politic talk in a comic podcast. Yeah. What are you doing? Yeah, at least the kingpin would be you know cut a striking figure. <laughs> this is one of my. This issue had one of my absolute favorite scenes of the week, which is we're sort of tackling this idea of Matt no longer being Daredevil and trying to help and what is his purpose? Um, what role can he fill? And he's being a parole officer and he's toying with being a lawyer again. And, and uh, the final two pages are Matt sitting in a dark room and he is making a phone call and it's just, uh, he said, yeah, I'd like to report an attempted robbery on 43rd between 9th and 10th. Suspects are still on the scene. 
and then just cuts to him sitting there for a couple panels, and he says, he, you know, redials 911. He says, hello, I'd like to report a robbery corner of 11th to 44th, a pizza restaurant. Please hurry. And then he just says, he calls again, hello, yes, I'd like to report an assault. And in the final page, we see just all of these lines of dialogue that he's hearing in the city. And he's so obsessed with trying to help that he's got heightened hearing and senses. So he's able to listen to all these crimes and sort of echolocate where they are. And he's just calling the police to report all these crimes to get them to go. I thought that was a really cool Daredevil moment. One of my favorite Daredevil moments I've ever read. It was, and it says so much about Matt's character, you know, that he's not a hero to be for the violence. I can actually, now that I think about it in the previous issue, or maybe it was in this one, but he he's going to the nun and talking about how, like, I thought I was trying to help God, but I was doing it through violence, and maybe I just love violence. And he's battling with that. But yeah. here we have this scene of him trying to help, because that's his, all he knows to do is help, but it's without violence at all. And it really does remind me of, you know, when, you know, when you're stressing about something, and it's in your head, and... You know, Roman, you could be like, oh, you know, I feel so bad. I didn't say hi to this person on the street, and they're going to be mad at me. And everyone around you like, they don't give a fuck. <laughs> but on, in your sphere, you're like, oh, this, you know, I, I, maybe, I, maybe I am a jerk, or maybe I did do this. And it's just that, like, our brains and our hearts are so oftentimes broken computers where data goes in, and it's not mm. able to reliably come out uh, correctly. And so Matt attacking himself and be like oh I'm just doing it for the love of violence like this act right here shows that that's clearly not the truth but he's not able to see that he's still wrestling with this anxious or intrusive thought which just really hey Chip Zdarsky surprise <laughs> great storytelling buddy yeah yeah exactly and and it does tie into so many other moments in, in Matt Murdock's Daredevil career I mean probably starting with maybe starting before Frank Miller's born again, where he struggles with why he's doing the doing this and his faith, but he can't. You know, it's just like Spider Man: great power, great responsibility. He can't ignore his powers. He can't ignore trying to help people. So, but he's gonna. I mean, you can't stay up all night, right? Listening to this and calling nine one one, and 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 you know, it's gonna it's gonna destroy you. So, no matter what Matt does, it seems like he's except for the Mark Wade run, he's gonna like self you know harm himself just because he's not taking care of himself first but yeah i really liked that that final scene that blew me away i was like wow that's beautifully done it's beautifully drawn and it's so fitting with matt murdoch's character and him trying to do to to evolve and do the right thing according to his faith and with this new idea about violence and the kingpin evolving too past being the kingpin maybe moving to a more uh political level of King Pinnery. <laughs> and in the middle, when he's acting as a parole officer for this character, who's oh. been dealing drugs, trying yeah. to get their life back on track, and he's sort of like, well, what happened? And he's saying, well, my brother was actually the guy that was killed by Daredevil. Um, and he just sort of starts going off on how difficult that's been on him. And Matt starts to have, starts to have a panic attack. Yeah, yeah, and, and that's really genuine, the way that's felt, because he just totally is like, I, I got to go. Yeah. Can't, unlike maybe previous unlike you know a lesser writer would have been like have matt like having this internal monologue but still dealing with the guy and and doing his job then no this is just like no i gotta go i'm sorry gotta go and the guy's like what (laughs) and he ends up at the church with the nun 
that was really well done. It was super well done, but it also made me think like, maybe there is somebody pulling these strings up here. Did this guy actually die because of Daredevil? Like, or who knows? And maybe the yeah. person who could be in charge of that sent this guy to be around Matt to sort of show how much, you know, Daredevil fucked this person up. Like, it all has the the sort of harmful overtones of orchestration. Yeah, I still keep wondering that too. <clears throat> and even though I think this version of the, I think Kingpin doesn't know he's Matt Murdock. I can't remember if he still knows that or not. Yeah, I can't remember. If but yeah, I'm still one, kind of wondering in the back of my head, is the Kingpin manipulating all this or am I like thinking of the show too much? <laughs> um, but this is really well done, except, yeah, I, I wish the artist from a few issues ago, the regular artist, I yeah. wish he'd return. I give this one a 7.5, but if it were the regular artist, I think I would give it a 9. Yeah, it's got the owl in it. I love the owl. Love the owl. Love um, the owl. Um, yeah, I'd give this almost an 8. Yeah. Definitely an 8 if it wasn't for the for the art. Uh, the art would, yeah, really step it up for me. Yeah. Well, we've got one uh, issue left, folks, and then we're going to take this opportunity of just a Jeff and Roman cast to uh, get a little introspective and melancholic afterwards so if you're not down for that um you know <coughs> listen to batman and then get the get out of here and don't listen to two um people more old than their physical years on the inside uh <laughs> navel gaze batman number 73 by tom king and michael janin janine michael janine um this is part two of the arc that the fall on the oh whoa it's part four of the fall on the fallen but it's it's sort of the second issue where we've seen Thomas Wayne we're plotting out what is going on with Thomas Wayne why is he working for Bane what what's happening with Batman I don't even know why this Thomas Wayne is oh it was because of that the button right 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 okay but that kind of ended with him leaving that reality I thought and coming back here I have to reread the button. But I, I don't necessarily know the internal comic physics of how yeah. uh, somehow it all ties into whoever is manipulating events in Doomsday Clock. Yeah, well, <laughs> Mister Manhattan Rogers. I don't think it's him. Oh, I like that. Well, that's a hot take. We'll have to follow up on it at a different time. Um, this is one of those classic Tom King issues where you know. Thomas Wayne is pulling a defeated, exhausted, passed out Bruce Wayne on the back of a horse through the desert, dragging a coffin behind the horse. And we don't really know why. And he's singing song, esoteric songs. <laughs> and uh, Bruce Wayne slowly starts to gain his consciousness back. And he's, I loved, there was a couple bits in here that I loved, but we'll do broad strokes first. Uh, Thomas Wayne says, like, yeah, you were defeated. You should be scared right now. It's natural. I've done my best to reset your back. You know, just relax. And Bruce is able to puzzle, like, oh, we're going through the desert. We're getting attacked by assassins. We're headed to Raj al Ghul's Lazarus Pit, one of the only remaining Lazarus Pits. And spoilers, it becomes revealed that maybe the person in this coffin is Martha Wayne. Yeah. And Thomas <laughs> is trying to... Uh, Revive Martha Wayne. So if, if this is the Apparently. main continuity Martha, she's just got to be a Bones. Oh, yeah. It's totally nuts. And, and and if it's not, so what? Thomas brought, dug up his dead wife from the, you know, Flashpoint universe and brought her here too? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, or, or is this some crazy guy that's not even Thomas Wayne? I don't know. It's definitely Thomas Wayne because they talk without masks, I think, a lot. Oh, yeah, they do. Yeah. They're... 
I love this Tom King Bat run, Batman I do run. Too. Yeah. Roman, I think that I wish that he wasn't going to his own book for Batman and Catwoman. I love that they've teased that it's Mask of the Phantasm as the villain. Um, the Phantom Phantasm. But I think sales have gone a little bit low on this. He, I listened to a podcast with him today, and he was talking about how people just hated that Nightmares arc. Like, the sales just <laughs> dropped wow. remarkably during that. I think that's a real shame. I know that people like a good punch him up with Batman. I like a sort of thoughtful psychoanalysis. Yeah. It takes everything, but... Yeah, it's a shame that people would give up on it, to my mind, so easily. And, and yes, you know, I'm aware that... You know, I've got it in. I'm not spending my my ducats on Batman every month. You know, I get twice to, a week, month. Yeah, yeah, I get to read it for free, so I I'm got a privilege point here of reading Batman. But it's such a great overarching story uh, with the psychological elements. It's it's not just your typical. Oh, this week I'm fighting Doctor Phosphorus. This this week I'm fighting the Joker again. Oh. Right. <laughs> um, there are some amazing father and son scenes in this. Because uh, you know Thomas, this Thomas, Bruce died when Bruce was a boy, and our Bruce, Thomas, died when he was a boy. So these scenes of these people who long for this relationship, and even though it's not the same person from their reality, um, they get to connect, and that's amazing. And there's just this line of them hugging, and Thomas says, your father's got you. When he's coming out of this sort of delusion state, he's talking about how he, you know... Uh, You've been through something. You're coming out of something. You're going to be scared. But just remember what I taught you. Uh, it's okay to be scared. Everyone gets scared. It just means you get you get to fight that fear. And that phrasing, you get to fight yeah. that fear, was a really empowering thing for me to be reading. Because it's easy to think, oh, I'm, I'm afraid of this thing. And so then you go into preventative mode or defensive mode. Um, you want to avoid it. You want to try and convince yourself that that fear isn't true. That's not combating it. And so for, this is just like so Batman to me, which is this moment of, it's okay to be scared. Everyone gets scared. And now you get to fight that fear. And that was a really empowering Bat moment to me. That's that's the good stuff. It really was too. And yeah, you're exactly right. You get to. So, you know, it's, it's an opportunity for you to make a choice. And, and that is so empowering. And, and the fact that they're doing it as they're, like, throwing punches at each other. Yeah. And and Dad completely blocks <laughs> Bruce's punch and then cold cocks him. And, <laughs> yeah, there's something so human about when you're going through something. We're all, there's some deeply narcissistic thing about us that we think that we're the only one going through that. Mm, you yeah. know, like our pain is so unique or our experiences. No one could be going through this. I just want to be normal. I want to be like everybody else and not have this horrible thing happening. There are a lot of people on the planet. There are people who have gone through exactly what you're going through. And when you can say everyone gets scared, there's, yeah, yeah this deeply humanizing thing about that. that's your experience. And yeah, it's, it's great to be reminded that you're not on the outside you're always on the inside. You're all like you're you're sharing this human experience with all these people. So, uh, just that Tom King is is so 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 brilliant. Um, the, his ability to have gone through the tragedies he's gone through and be a human and become better from it and put it in these comic books is amazing. It's a gift. I 
I'm really really grateful these the, he's writing Batman. Yeah, I mean that that sequence these little that's my favorite two pages in this issue, and, and that it ends with with uh, Thomas Wayne telling him, "Son, my little boy, you don't have to worry anymore. Your father's got you." And then and he hugs him. Yeah. Even though he's putting him through hell apparently, and on this crazy quest, and it's just wow. Uh, that's that's something you don't see in. I was going to say most comics. It's probably something you haven't seen in any comics up until Tom King's run. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Um, I would give this a nine. It, it's super well done. The art was pretty great. I think that this is a different colorist. Jordi Bellera's coloring this, but Michael Jannon's stuff has had a little bit more of an almost digital look to it. In the Bane stuff, where he was like mm. breaking into Santa Prisca and trying to you know fight Bane, there was a real sort of almost like digital color tone to it. Whereas this, it looks a bit more like Mitch Garrett's colors or uh, I think they're trying to unify this art in terms of its look with like Lee Weeks and Jorge Fornes oh, or the other yeah. artists on the books who have a much flatter style. Uh, Michael Janine's stuff is, uh, it's, it's colored to show depth and almost three dimensions, whereas the other ones are very flat. I think they're... Yeah. Yeah, you're right. There's a lot of deficit. And I, it just occurred to me when I flipped to the first two-page splash in this, it looks like something out of... Maybe I'm just thinking because of the coffin and the horses, but I'm thinking, wow, this is like out of a Jodorowsky movie or something. Yeah. This, these vistas and this whole issue is just like this journey through this empty, sandy wasteland. There's not a tree or a mm-hmm. building or anything except these two characters, the horse and the coffin. Oh, and occasionally they get attacked by some ninjas. Yeah. <laughs> so what was your score? Um, I would, uh, boy, I'll give it a 9.5. Yeah, I love it. Well, hey, um, on the week that we weren't going to have a pod, we didn't have a podcast, uh, Roman and I had talked a little bit, and we were going to maybe have a separate podcast that was going to be a much longer discussion about uh, this. But we weren't able to because we ran out of time. Um so we're just, I just want to add it as a quick thing here because it's not often that Roman and I get to be the only two on a podcast. And uh, when it does happen, I think we both love to talk a little bit more about those sad, spooky, lonely moments. <laughs> so what I wanted to talk about and just ask Roman because I'm very curious. Um, everybody in life goes through horrible stuff kind of like that. Batman we were just talking about and we all have fears and we've all had these things that make us feel like we are truly going through something that people don't have to go through we sort of can feel bad about ourselves or feel bad about our circumstances and I love comic books and I always say that one one thing I love about them is that they are entertainment but uh, I've also spoken on the podcast about how my favorite comic books are ones that don't simply entertain but um much like this issue of Batman we just spoke about, uh, the ones that get real high score for me are, are ones that equip me in a way to better handle the difficult parts of life. So I'm curious, Roman, and I've asked you this two weeks ago when we were going to talk about this, so hopefully you have an answer. Maybe. Um, <laughs> what are, what is one, maybe the most, but what when you think back on your life and the difficulties that you've had in your life, and I know you've been reading comic books your whole life. What are the stories that helped you get through the really hard times? Or what were the um, the books that maybe you were just reading at the right time, but that you think back on uh, when you're trying to get through 
the difficult stuff? What helped you the most? Hmm. Um, when I was a kid, it was it was definitely uh, Spider Man and the Hulk. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm trying to think of uh, specific storylines because I'm sure there were ones, but at the moment, um, <clears throat> it was mainly those two characters because uh, well, Spider Man because that's his whole shtick, you know, about yeah. being an everyman, everything, but keep keep on going, keep plugging away, trying to do the right thing, and he was always funny, so that was always a great escape for me. Um, how long, how long do we have? What? I mean, we got a couple minutes. Why don't you okay. keep thinking, and I'll jump into one of mine. Okay, um, I, was, I can use specific examples, but go ahead. Well, yeah. So I'll, I'm going to give a specific example, and then you give a specific example. Um, but I would say for all intents and purposes, about eight years ago, um, I lost my father. And a thing that really, really helped me, um, that was really when I started getting like really heavily back into comics as an adult. Um, and the thing that to me got me through a lot of the difficulties of my life was sort of having this huge well of comic book fiction to get into, but not only just comic book fiction, but um, Grant Morrison's Batman specifically. Mm. And more than that, the the volume R.I.P., which is sort of, you know, halfway through his whole Batman five-year storyline, but that's when you know the the black gloves attacking him and they've captured him and shot him up with like heroin and dumped him on a street and caused him to lose his memory and he creates his backup personality and it's and it's this horrible horrible series of events but there's this one sequence in there um where he was buried alive and he bursts out of the coffin and there's this long sort of spoken word about how how hard it was to train for a circumstance like this. He's like, you know, almost impossible to be able to envision the amount of dirt crushing down. you almost impossible to break through the wood with only six inches of space. Um, and then it cuts to this gorgeous splash page of, like, Batman in the rain uh, above this grave. And it says, uh, it says something to the effect of difficult, but not impossible. Uh, and to me, that was, that's, just this image that I look back on all the time of Batman is this paragon of preparation and human ability and the idea of, you know, things are difficult, but they're not impossible. Um, and it's just been a tough week. Or sorry, a tough month, really. I mean, the <laughs> comics place is, you know, it's been a, it's been a tough, tough month. Um, so, you know, just thinking about this blessed position we're in of having comic book stories in our life. Uh, I just, I was, you know, I'm curious what are the ladder? What are the other things that ways that people have used comic books as the ladder to get out of these emotional holes that everyone finds themselves in? Yeah. Um, so yeah, for me, Graham Morrison's Batman really embodied just the human being, the non-superpowered superhero's ability to get through the absolute impossible. Um, so that's that's one thing for me. I'm curious if you have a, a one that specific. It's a great example. Um, I'd have to think about it more for one storyline, one's that specific. Um, for me, it was kind of in retrospect, well, like one specific one was uh, This Man, This Monster, the fan yeah. Stanley, Jack Kirby, Fantastic Four story. I forget which the issue. Thing, but with The Thing, yeah. just because he's such a great character, you know, because he's always, not so much nowadays, but he used to always be so depressed and so angry, but still, 
usually trying to do the right thing and no pun intended and in that story you know he's off stock and he's mad at reed and the whole family but he comes back to save reed at the end because this other guy has used a science to um, make himself into the thing and convince Reed and everybody he's the thing and then he tries to kill Reed and then he saves saves Reed at the end and the real Ben shows up and it's just this great thing about family and friendship and and maintaining those connections and those loves even if you're pissed off at the person or whatever right. or whatever your own personal stuff is going on but of course I read that when I was probably in middle school as a reprint um so the more so even more immediate stuff for spider-man it was because he was always he was closer to an age i could imagine mm -hmm. at that time and he always kept going i mean he you know his girlfriend got killed i mean i didn't know this till later but he kind of caused her death gwen stacy catching her that way um his aunt may was almost always dying and all this <laughs> stuff always almost dying. <laughs> yeah and um uh, when I was a kid, I was sexually abused, and Spider-Man's one of the characters. I was like, you know, how Spider-Man deal with us? I would escape into his stories, but also just the fact that you know, he just keeps going. If I could be like Spider-Man and make jokes or whatever, and and be sociable, all that, and have these connections, and of course I didn't think of it that way when I was a kid, but you know, maintain all that, you can get through anything. Yeah. So. Yeah, Spider-Man Blue would be my other one. Um, oh. Jeff Loeb, Tim Sale, and just if you are somebody who carries the ghost of an old relationship with you. Yeah, that's a good one. Spider-Man yeah. Blue is just this amazing several-issue story of Spider-Man speaking into a tape recorder to Gwen Stacy on the anniversary yeah. of her death. and. And what I loved was like at one point Mary Jane sort of is calling to him and knows what he's doing. Um, and it's just supportive. And just this... I loved that moment of him having moved on, but not moving on, but the relationship that he's currently in, like honoring this part of his life and, um, you know, without making the end of this podcast too much of a downer. That's one that if you have wrestled with, you know, getting over people or relationships or how to have those things in your life um, from the past in a healthy way, I would say Superman Blue is a thing everyone should read. So, sorry, Spider-Man Spider Blue, not Superman Blue. Yeah. That's a <laughs> Superman in an electric suit, and that's very good. Yeah, story. yeah. Yeah, boy, Mar uh, Marvel opened in George Perez's Teen Titans when I was in, I think, the end of middle school, beginning of high school, something like that. Um, that stuff coming out in the original Judas contract mm -hmm. with the Terminator and uh, Deathstroke, what they used to call him the Terminator, um, and Tara when she betrayed the Titans, and I think it was Beast Boy was in love with her, and handling that betrayal of his his friends and family his teammates by this woman he loved finding out she was like basically a, a psychologically mind controlled yeah. by Deathstroke that was, that was yeah that's a heavy <laughs> arc yeah especially when you're like in 10th grade right. or something it's like whoa so Hey, high five. Good, oh. good, good ones. <laughs> uh, yeah, I didn't want to bring that up to be a downer, but I just wanted to highlight, like, I you know, I always say I love comic books, and it's not because they're entertainment. I get that they are just entertainment to some folks, but I think that there is the in incredible ability for comic books to be one of the most healing, um, meditative, or just teaching opportunities that there are. It's it's so immediate. It's so visceral. Um 
and it's something that has always needed to be made quick because there's always deadlines. So you get the opportunity for just some good stories to come out without people overthinking it and stopping themselves. Uh, yeah, I I love them. They shine a light. Yeah. Comic books shine a light. So yeah, and, and that and that's something. I mean, both of us. Is, even this week's books, you know, the things we focused on were like Tony Stark's alcoholism and dealing with that and, you know, Batman's father issues and dealing with that. It's it's Daredevil's crises of faith right. and action. <laughs> I mean, that, that's the stuff we really love. Yeah, yeah, you and I especially. So, um, yeah, thanks for sticking with us through that part, folks, if you're still here at the end of the podcast. Um, this is episode 135. Uh, 140 is only five episodes away. So if you're at this point in the podcast, thank you so much for listening. Uh, that is awesome. If you made it this far, that means you were interested on some level to be at this point. If you're invested that much, please write us an email um, or send us a, a voicemail or call us and record a voicemail um, mm -hmm. for our all voicemail, all uh, question episode of 145 weeks from now. You can get an email to us at info at thecomicsplace.com. You can do a Facebook message. Yeah. Facebook, a great call. You could record an audio recording on your phone and email that to info at thecomicsplace.com. Or you can call the phone line, which is 1-619-663-7336. Um, Nicely done. Thank you. Uh, we would, yeah, love to have a bunch of questions for those. And then we are gearing up, getting ready to get episode 150 as a live episode. We're trying to get a location figured out for that and exactly what we're going to do. But I think it's going to be a really fun time probably no conversations about hey what was what was the most depressing thing that's ever happened to you and how did you read comics through it probably not that vibe um we'll have Django there and hopefully colette so you know probably more farting um which is exactly what roman and i are super into but yeah so thanks everybody oh i want to give a huge birthday shout out to andrew carlson Oh. Um, happy birthday, happy my friend. Birthday, I Andrew. hope that you had a really good day. You came in today. You got some Doctor Strange. That was awesome. But you're a listener to the store. You've been shopping here for a while and listening to the podcast. Uh, big fan of you. Thanks for being a fan of us as well. The great and guy. Great guy. Great comic books. Um, he let us borrow the first appearance of Rocket Raccoon, which mm. I want to read and talk about next week. Um, but happy birthday, buddy. You are great. And I guess... I guess that wraps it for 135. I'm going to go see Toy Story 4 here in a minute. Wow. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm going to someday see Toy Story 3. And Justin's 3. closing the store. Hey, and Justin's Justin, back in town. Peace and out. You want to say hi to everybody? Donnie Cates for life. Justin is a huge Donnie Cates Donnie aficionado. Donnie and Clyde. <laughs> um, so on that note, thanks everybody for listening. Very sincerely. Roman, thank you for joining me. Well, thank you for having me, Jeff. Um, and uh, we'll see you all next week when Django is back and hopefully we'll get Justin on and we'll have a real good foursome out here. Um, I'm Jeff and you couldn't see but Justin just humped <laughs> the back of my chair. Ah, ah, I'm Roman and yeah, something's happening to me right now. He just humped Roman's <laughs> shoulder.